0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. As the end of Advent approaches and Christmas is in sight, the readings and prayers shift, focusing on the imminent coming of Christ. On this episode, Bishop walks through the Gospel readings for the 17th through the 21st. Hear about the genealogy of Jesus, as well as the appearance of angels and Mary's visit to Elizabeth.
1: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. Happy Advent. Happy Advent. How's it going? It's been going great. Uh, We're trying to do the Jesse tree. We keep on falling behind because some nights kind of things get
0: crazy and we miss it. Is that something you grew up with, the Jesse tree? You know, I don't really remember. I think in Catholic school we might have learned about it, but I don't remember doing it at
1: home. No. I I feel like it's been a recent thing that I've been aware of. I don't know, maybe people have been doing this For a long time, but it seems like maybe it's gotten a resurgence lately.
0: I think that's what it is, a a resurgence. It's great because you learn some of salvation history, the Old Testament stories. It's especially good to explain each of the symbols when you put them up with the children.
1: Is that what you're doing? We we actually got two things. One is the ornament. So one kid gets to hang the ornament on the tree and the other one is a sticker. They get to put the sticker up on the tree. We've got like a paper tree hanging up, kind of like an advent calendar kind of thing. They Uh put the sticker on there. It gets two kids involved. They fight over getting to do that.
0: Yes. Good. And you're teaching them the story? Yeah. Good. Well, Good.
1: we'll see if they're actually absorbing it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they are. <laughs> so you had mentioned something leading up to Christmas that I hadn't really heard of before, the the nine days before Christmas or the nine masses leading up to Christmas?
0: Yeah, it's really eight because I think if we speak of a novena, which is nine days, then you'd have to include Christmas Day because it begins on December 17th. Uh-huh. So as we go through Advent, we have the readings and the prayers for the first week of Advent, second week, third week, fourth week. Well, Before you get to the fourth week, usually the end of the third week, December 17th occurs. Uh Then you change. At that point, the priest at mass, and also it's in the Liturgy of the Hours, you have special readings and special prayers from December 17th on. Okay, You know, there's two prefaces for Advent. The preface, of course, is the beautiful prayer at the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer, right before we sing the holy, holy, holy. Mm -hmm. And so we use the same preface, the first preface, about the two comings of Christ, those first weeks of Advent. But then it changes when you get to December 17th. So it's really beautiful to go to Mass. I know some people can't because of work or whatever, but to go to mass on those eight days before Christmas from December 17th to the 24th, we have this beautiful preface, beautiful prayers, all having to do with the imminent coming of Christ, that Christmas is getting near, Mm -hmm. the readings, everything about it. The O antiphons are sung, but I thought it might be helpful just to read the beautiful preface that we say during those eight days before Christmas. Again, this is at the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer prior to the holy, holy, holy. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, almighty and eternal God through Christ our Lord. For all the oracles of the prophets foretold him, The virgin mother longed for him with love beyond all telling. John the Baptist sang of his coming and proclaimed his presence when he came. It is by his gift that already we rejoice at the mystery of his nativity so that he may find us watchful in prayer and exultant in his praise. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven... We sing the hymn of your glory as without end we acclaim. Hmm. So, Kyle, now you can sing the Holy, Holy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which one? (laughs) But isn't it beautiful? I mean, you can tell we're getting close to Christmas. You know, it's by his gift that we already rejoice at the mystery of his nativity. It's really calling us into more deeply through prayer in our preparation for Christmas. And so that's the same one then for all eight all eight days so really we switch we we use the first preface of advent preceding december 17th but then we switch to this second preface of advent is there a special name for this not really it's the like a novena a novena i you know i don't know if you properly call it a novena because it's really eight days but i guess if you include christmas day itself uh-huh. it would be nine days
1: now, is this related with the O Antiphons?
0: Yes. Okay. The O Antiphons, they're the antiphons sung at evening prayer, Vespers, also the Alleluia verse at Mass before the Gospel. And I think we might, I have a feeling we talked about the O Antiphons before on this show in yeah. years past.
1: I'll, I'll try to find that episode and put it in the show notes for this yeah. one so people can go back and
0: listen. But the readings of each day leading up to Christmas, beginning on December 17th, The Gospels in particular are chosen very especially by the church. And then the first reading from the Old Testament is usually connected to the Gospel. But Mm -hmm. I don't think we'd have time on the show to talk about the first readings, but maybe just to kind of review the Gospels that we hear in those eight days leading up to Christmas, beginning on December 17th. Some people think it's kind of boring to stand there and listen to the genealogy of Jesus, (laughs) but it's really quite important. You know, this was very important for the Jewish people because Mm -hmm. a person's identity was very much linked to their family and their tribe. So for the Jews, belonging by blood to the chosen people had very important religious significance. And even at the time of Jesus, Families would keep careful record of their family tree. Uh Anyhow, this is how St. Matthew begins his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So on December 17th, we hear chapter one of Matthew verses one to 17. Now, interestingly, on Christmas Eve, the vigil mass of Christmas is the proper gospel, the same gospel. So really, if you go to Mass on December 17th and then you go early on Christmas Eve in the evening or late afternoon, you might hear this gospel. Because a lot of times it's children's Masses. So oftentimes priests will omit that and just go to the last part where it says about how Jesus was born, according to Matthew, when his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, etc. Before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. But anyhow, looking at the genealogy itself, this is how the Gospel of Matthew begins. This is chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's really interesting because one of the main themes of Matthew's Gospel is Jesus as the son of David. I mean, Matthew really stresses the kingship that Jesus descended from David. So he even mentions that before he mentions Abraham. He says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, Abraham was hundreds of years before David. In any event, then he actually goes through beginning with Abraham. Probably our listeners are familiar with this. Abraham became the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, etc. Mm-hmm. So whoever's reading the gospel, the priest or the deacon really has to Get ready to pronounce some of Those are the the easy names. Yeah, it gets tricky in there. Exactly. So in any event, these are the two most important figures in Israel's history, Abraham and David. It's very important to Matthew to show that Jesus descended from Abraham and David. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, he especially stresses the title son of David. But when he begins, as I said, he starts then with Abraham and then Abraham's son, Isaac, etc., Even though he highlights David, it's an interesting thing because when you look at the genealogy and you count how many names there are, the names are grouped into three groups of 14. So there are these three periods with 14 generations in each period from Abraham to Jesus. Mm -hmm. If you look at the name David in Hebrew... They would give a numerical value to letters. The letters for David in Hebrew, D, W, D, the letter D, the number associated with it is four. The letter W, the number is six. And then you have D again, D, W, D, David. So it's four plus six plus four equals 14. Uh Uh-huh. Who would know about these numerical things, you know, but biblical scholars have studied this. And Matthew has notes that David himself appears in the 14th generation of this genealogy. But Jesus arrives at the end of three sets of 14 generations. So really, Matthew is presenting Jesus as the thrice Davidic son of David. Oh, wow. Yeah. But going back to the beginning of Israel's story, of course, you have the patriarch Abraham. And he was the one who God promised that his descendants would become a great nation. And of course, Abraham was called to the land of Canaan. And God promised Abraham that all the nations would find blessing through his family and that kings would come from his descendants. And you'll see this list of kings beginning with David in the genealogy of Jesus. Genealogy is always through the father. So it's father, son, father, son. But there are some women mentioned in the genealogy. There are four women mentioned. Hmm. So when you read this, for example, Jacob, the father of Judah, Judah became the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, normally the women are not mentioned in genealogies. In Jewish genealogies, the lineage was traced from father to son. But four times they mention a mother. And this is the first one. Tamar is the first. Later, it mentions Ruth and the wife of Uriah, who was Bathsheba, who David had the illicit affair with, and Rahab. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz became the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So there's kind of a lot of questions and there's different debates about why these women are mentioned. And I won't get into all the different opinions. I'll just share what I think is the most likely reason, at least in my opinion. And that is all of these were foreign women. In other words, they were not Israelites, but they're in the royal line. So the fact that all four of them were not Israelites, they were not by blood, but they were joined through marriage to the people of God, the family of Israel. So they were foreigners. So the fact that they were Gentiles, I think is important. I think maybe Matthew is including them because he wants to show that Jesus came as the savior, not just of Israel, but of all the world, including the Gentiles. God was concerned for Gentiles as well. So they were brought into the story of Israel, even in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just in the New Testament. And of course, we know the kingdom of Jesus is universal and his mission is universal, gathering Jews and Gentiles together into God's family. So you go through, I won't read all of them, a lot of different names we could talk about. Some of them during the Babylonian exile, some of them were not good. Some of them were oppressive and evil. You look at the names of the kings, they were not good kings. So it shows that very realistically, Jesus came to save all. So you have some heroes, but then you have wicked kings like Rehoboam and Ahaz and Manasseh. Anyhow, at the end, we get to really the climax after we go through all of these names. Eleazar became the father of Mathon, Mathon the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, The husband of Mary. Of her was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Notice, Mary's mentioned. Jesus is of the Davidic line through Joseph, but Joseph is not his biological father. That's why Matthew says Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of her was born Jesus, who is called the Christ, not Not of of him. And then it says at the very end, thus the total number of generations from Abraham to David is 14 generations. From David to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations. From the Babylonian exile to the Christ, 14 generations. So that's December 17th. Kicks off our eight mass novena.
1: I think we can hear all those names in the lineage and can Seem a little boring or redundant or unnecessary, but having that explanation, it does set the stage for what's to come and the history before we get the present day of the Nativity,
0: which exactly. is exactly past now. But exactly. Well, how about December eighteenth? Okay, then it just continues that first chapter of Matthew. So, okay. the seventeenth ended with verse seventeen. The Gospel on the eighteenth begins with verse eighteen. And it says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And that's the part that you might hear at the vigil mass on Christmas Eve. Mass at night, that's different. That's Luke's account of the nativity with the shepherds and everything. But if you go earlier to mass, unless a priest substitutes, you may hear the whole genealogy plus this. Because the genealogy is optional. It's in brackets for Christmas Eve. And then it continues with what we hear on Christmas. December eighteenth. This is how the birth of Jesus came about, when his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. He had no relations with her until she bore a son, and he named him Jesus. So December 18th, it's just one week before Christmas, and we have this gospel in which we've heard it many times. Saint Matthew describes Joseph as a righteous man Mm -hmm. another translation is a just man so in God's plan Joseph was chosen to be the earthly father of his divine son Jesus and he had a very very unique vocation to say the least he sought a solution to the troubling news that his betrothed his beloved Mary was pregnant and he didn't understand he looked for a solution that would respect her dignity and her integrity. He wouldn't expose her to public shame. He wouldn't expose her to, even worse, to punishment or death. So he decided to divorce her quietly but that was not God's solution. God sent his angel to Joseph in a dream and revealed to him that the child in Mary's womb was conceived through the Holy Spirit. So God gave Joseph the solution to this dilemma and Joseph totally trusted God. He obeyed the angel's words and took Mary into his home. You know, we just completed the year of St. Joseph and there's much more that can be said about this gospel. I do want to point out that St. Matthew explained that all this took place as a fulfillment of a prophecy that we find in the book of the prophet Isaiah. And Matthew quotes it, the virgin shall be with child, shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This idea that God is with us always. He's not distant from us. He's with us. He assumed our human flesh in Jesus. And that's really what Christmas is all about. God is present. God is with us. He's present in our struggles, in our pain. So, here, pretty much at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we have this assurance of Emmanuel, God with us. But When you get to the very end of Matthew's gospel, after the resurrection, right before his ascension into heaven, Jesus says, behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. So you see the gospel of Matthew kind of framed between those two things, God with us, Emmanuel at the beginning, and then Jesus telling the apostles before he ascended to heaven, I will be with you always until the end of the age. All right, well,
1: if you have a question for Bishop, you're in luck. You can just text your question to the Holy Cross College text line at 260 436 9598, and we'll take a look at the next few days of Advent coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
0: Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member owned, not for profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for profit banks. You already share our values? Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
1: Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've been talking about the eight days that lead up to Christmas, and it's a type of novena, Mm -hmm. you would say. And we talked about the first two days. The next one would be December 19th, which will be a Sunday. Does that change anything? Or is December 19th always the same readings, whether it's a Sunday or not?
0: No, it is different if it's a Sunday. Okay. But I would like to talk about What we would hear when it's not a Sunday, okay? because otherwise we kind of interrupt the story as we would normally hear it. So if December 19th wasn't a Sunday, like so we can think this is what you'll hear next year because it won't be a Sunday. Uh We have another appearance of an angel because on December 18th, we have the angel appearing to Joseph in a dream. Now we have the angel Gabriel appearing to Zechariah. Okay. And interesting, tomorrow, we're going to have another angelic announcement, the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary. It's interesting. So three days in a row, we have angels beginning with what we heard yesterday, the angel speaking to Joseph in a dream. December 19th, we have the angel appearing to Zechariah. Then on the 20th of December, appearing to Mary. So okay. on December 19th, we have, oh, and by the way, on Christmas Eve night, we have the angel appearing to the shepherds. But anyhow, these angels are messengers of God and they make important announcements. And in every one of these appearances, the angel begins by telling the person not to be afraid. Right. That would be the typical human reaction to a heavenly visit. Don't be afraid, because uh-huh. that's normal to be afraid. I mean, if an angel appeared to me, I think I'd be afraid.
1: I think. In movies and stuff, we think of them as sweet and peaceful, but there must have been something intimidating about them.
0: Yeah. I mean, we don't know because there's no description of what they look like. Yeah. But anyhow, in the gospel of December 19th, the angel Gabriel appears to the priest, Zechariah. And Zechariah was offering incense to God at the time. It was the evening sacrifice in the temple. And so Zechariah was a priest and the gospel tells us that Zechariah was troubled by what he saw and fear came upon him. Mm -hmm. And Gabriel said to him, do not be afraid. He had come to Zechariah with the good news that his wife Elizabeth would bear a son. This was amazing news because Elizabeth was elderly. She was barren. They had no children. And Zechariah found this wonderful news too incredible to believe. So he asked the question, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. And my wife has advanced in years. So he really was doubting it. And the gospel says he was made mute. He was made speechless until the day of his son, John the Baptist's birth. I always feel kind of bad for Zechariah. I don't know about Mm -hmm. you. Like, I wonder why this punishment, you know. After all, it says earlier in the gospel that Zechariah was righteous Mm -hmm. in the eyes of God. So he was a good man. And he and his wife observed all the commandments. He and Elizabeth were pretty much blameless before the Lord. He was a faithful priest. You might think, well, who wouldn't doubt such an extraordinary announcement? I wouldn't, however, see his being made mute really a punishment. I think it's better to see it as a kind of medicine. Hmm. Think about it this way. I think it was a way to help Zechariah grow in his faith. By being made mute, he was made to be silent. And it's in silence that we can hear the voice of the Lord. And I think that's an important message for us in a noisy world, because we can get caught up in all the noise and all the activity and not have the quiet that we need. Even when we go to pray, we can have difficulty listening to God when we're doing all the talking. So Zechariah being mute for nine months was really a good thing, because he was able to listen to the Lord in prayer. And when he was finally able to speak after John's birth, he gave that beautiful canticle of praise that the church prays every day in morning prayer, call it the Canticle of Zechariah. I wonder if he would have done that if he hadn't had those nine months of being unable to speak. I think it was a time where he grew in his faith, grew in his reverence for the Lord, his love for the Lord. He did a lot of listening. So perhaps he learned to ponder and be more contemplative Mm -hmm. during that time, became closer to God. I think that's a good lesson for us anyhow. Maybe yeah. when you meditate on things like this, on the gospels, you can come up with some insights. And, and then when he came out of the temple, Zechariah, of course, he was unable to speak to the people who were outside. And what a priest would normally do, they'd come out after offering the incense and they would impart a blessing to the people. But Zechariah couldn't do it because he was mute. Think about this. He was a priest. So here we are with a priest at the beginning of the New Testament. Well, a new priest was about to be born. There would be a new covenant, a new temple, a new priest. The new priest, of course, is Jesus. And he's the one who would impart the blessing upon the people. An infinitely greater gift than the blessing that was imparted by the Old Testament priests. When you read Luke's gospel, at the end of the gospel, we read that right before Jesus ascended into heaven... He imparted on the disciples a priestly blessing. So Uh Luke's gospel begins, as we just heard, with Zechariah unable, because he was mute, to impart a blessing. End of Luke's gospel. Jesus, the new priest, imparts a priestly blessing. If you read the end of Luke's gospel, St. Luke writes that Jesus raised his hands and blessed them. This was right before his ascension. And it says at the end of Luke's gospel that the disciples did him homage, and then they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were constantly in the temple praising God. So we have the temple at the very beginning of Luke's gospel, where Zechariah offered the incense, and at the end of Luke's gospel, when the disciples went back to the temple and we're there continually praising God after they received this new blessing that the new priest, Jesus, imparted upon them. So that's December 19th. The priest, Zechariah, ready to go to December 20th? Sure. We have at the beginning of Luke's gospel the account of the Annunciation to Zechariah on December 20th. Continuing with Luke's gospel, We have the Annunciation to Mary. And I'm not going to read this gospel because we hear it multiple times during the liturgical year. This is when the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. We know he began hail full of grace. The Lord is with you. I don't remember if I've talked about this on the show before. When we say in English, Hail Mary, it's from the Latin, Ave Maria. But what did the Greek say? What does it actually say here? The greeting in Greek is kaire, Hmm. kekaritomene, kaire, kekaritomene. Kaire means rejoice. Now we translate that hail, but it really is be joyful, Mm -hmm. rejoice. And he doesn't say Mary. He doesn't use her name. Gabriel calls her, he says, rejoice, full of grace. Cacaritomene means full of grace. If you read this passage in Spanish, and I have Spanish masses a lot, it's Uh interesting, in Spanish, the angel says, alegrate, llena de gracia, which means, really rejoice. Uh It's different than hail. In Spanish, it's closer to the Greek. It's rejoice. Alegrate. So why? Why this invitation to rejoice? Because Gabriel's announcing to this daughter of Zion, this young Jewish woman, Mary, he's announcing to her the great news of the coming of the Savior, that she has been chosen by God to be the mother of his son. And I remember St. John Paul II once said that the name that Mary possesses in the eyes of God is full of grace. Mm-hmm. Ke Implicitly here, we have a revelation of the Immaculate Conception. Mary was full of grace. She was filled with God's grace, no sin, from the first moment of her conception. So that's the invitation to rejoice. And this invitation to joy isn't something superficial. When we celebrate Christmas, we say Merry Christmas. We wish people joy, not just a superficial joy, but a deep joy, deep in our hearts. The joy that comes from faith in God, the joy that comes from trust in the Lord. And With Zechariah and with Joseph, the angel had to say to Mary, don't be afraid. Again, whenever there's this angelic visitation. And Mary's receiving this calling, this vocation that's announced to her by Gabriel. This great dignity of being called to be the mother of the Messiah. The mother of the new king. The mother of the Lord. This is the greatest news. The greatest news bulletin. The greatest news announcement ever communicated in Human history. This young virgin of Nazareth, God's inviting to rejoice because he's calling her to be the mother of his son. And on behalf of all humanity, on behalf of Israel as well, Mary said, Yes, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. So, this dialogue of Gabriel and Mary, pretty much the beginning of the New Testament, is a magnificent story, the Annunciation. Mary's Yes, her fiat, let it be done to me, according to your word. And she lived that fiat for the rest of her life, even to the end when she stood at the foot of the cross of her son. Hmm. She said yes to the incarnation, and she said yes to the redemption when she stood at the foot of the cross. So beautiful to meditate on this just five days before Christmas, the Gospel of the Annunciation.
1: All right. Well, Bishop, if you have time for one more, that will take us until next week, and then maybe next week we could pick up with the 22nd.
0: Okay. So we can go on to December 21st, and we know what happens after the Annunciation, the visitation. So the gospel is Mary's visit to her cousin Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist. So Mary goes to visit her elderly cousin, who is pregnant and We hear at the Annunciation, of course, Mary's carrying the unborn Jesus in her womb. Elizabeth has her unborn son in her womb. And what happens? The infant John the Baptist leapt for joy. So this theme of joy again. And what did Elizabeth say? She cried out. The gospel says, most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So those words we say in the Hail Mary the first sentence of the hail mary we repeat the words of gabriel to mary and then the second sentence of the hail mary we repeat the words of elizabeth to mary and it's a beatitude blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb there's a lot of things if i've i've preached on the visitation many many times it's this encounter has a lot of meaning in it another beatitude that Elizabeth said to Mary at the visitation is blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. So Elizabeth recognized Mary's faith and Mary was blessed among women, not only because she was carrying in her womb, the son of God, but she was blessed also because as St. Augustine famously taught before conceiving the Lord in her body, she had already conceived him in her soul. She believed in God's word, and she said yes to his holy will. So we consider her the most perfect, the most pure disciple of the Lord. She's our example of faith. Elizabeth, in her humility, and she was inspired by the Holy Spirit, St. Luke tells us, said, How does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So how did Elizabeth know that the baby in Mary's womb was the Lord? was God, the Holy Spirit gave her that ability hmm. to discover because the word Lord is a divine title. And she said, how does this happen that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So she perceived that the child was was truly the Messiah and actually divine, the divine son.
1: Yeah, not quite as much of an impact if she said, how is this that my cousin would come and visit me? Like, what? <laughs> right. That's what we do. We visit yeah. family, you know, yeah. like
0: recognizing that this is a big deal. And notice yesterday's gospel, the Annunciation and 21st is the visitation. They're both joyful mysteries of the rosary. They're both events that are filled with joy.
1: If we to wrap this one up and then next week we can start on the 22nd to talk about the 22nd, 23rd, 24th. And then that's kind of it for these eight masses before Christmas. Remind
0: me, is it four masses on Christmas? There are, yeah. The Vigil Mass, the Mass at night, Mass at dawn, and Mass during the day. Okay. So they all have different prayers and different readings. So you can go to four different Christmas Masses. Only obliged to go to one. You're only obliged to go to one, correct. Yeah. But depending on which one you go to, you'll hear different prayers, different readings. Right.
1: Okay. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for another great episode. Reminder, you can find this and other past episodes wherever you find your podcast Just search for Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes or go to Spokestreet.com and click on it there. Could we get your
0: Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.